Well, good morning, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians again, but for the last time, at least here on Sundays. You can turn to it plenty of other times, and please let me encourage you to keep doing that. But uh, today will be our last one in our series in Philippians, which we've been in for, I think, 16 weeks. Uh, Perhaps just a bit of a heads up about what's next. Um, So over the next two weeks, we've been doing some standalone sermons on the overall subject of mission and God using us to reach others uh, for his name. And then after that, we're going to start a series called Truths That Transform. Truths That Transform. So it's kind of more of a, a topical series looking at particular truths that are in the scriptures that if you grasp them, or perhaps more to the point, if they grasp you, your life will be changed indefinitely and permanently if they land for you. So that's our hope over that series. So maybe that could be our prayer as a church, that these truths that can transform will land in such a way that they do, uh, bringing fruit to God's glory. Just an update uh, or an upfront uh, thing about today's message. As we wrap up Philippians, it's going to be on the subject of giving. Um, We don't actually speak about giving very often. Uh, Some might say not enough. Uh, We don't do giving talks each week for the offering, but occasionally the subject comes up. And as we finish Philippians, that's the subject where we've landed today. So that's what we're going to be looking looking at. And we pray, that's our prayer, that God's word will clear away maybe any negative connotations or, or perspectives that we might have about giving And that we'll see what Christian giving is, what it isn't, and what God has to say about it. And that that'll actually help us, no matter where we sit with the whole issue of giving, to be, as God describes, cheerful givers. Um, If you're visiting with us today, when we are delighted that you're here, and if you're part of another church or looking for a church Hopefully, as we look at the end of Philippians today, that will help you think about this area of giving either for the church you're normally a part of or the one you're about to become part of, whether that's here or somewhere else. Um, If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, can I just say this to you? Uh, That is awesome. We are delighted that you are here. Uh, And giving, the subject of Christian giving, is something you may want to consider somewhere down the track but our heart for you if that's where you're at if you're here and you're just exploring Jesus is that first and foremost above everything else you will get to know more and more who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus so please don't hear me say to you today if you're exploring Jesus you need to start giving that might come later but the big thing for you at the moment is getting to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So having said that, we're going to read the passage together, pray, and then dive into it. Uh, So it's going to be from Philippians 4. Our focus is on verse 14 and following, but it's part of a section from 10 onwards. So we're going to read that uh, whole section together. So uh, Philippians 4 and verse 10. Paul writes, as we saw last week, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather on an occasion like today to hear your word, to lift up the name of Jesus, to learn more about him, whether we're just starting that journey or whether we've been following him for 50 years. Lord, you are awesome as we heard at the beginning of our gathering. You are glorious. You are are above our capacity to grasp. You are so great and so we can continue to be overwhelmed and to be affected and to be amazed and to be learning about who you are, what you're like, what you've done for us, who you are to us. And so as we come to your word, even as we think about this subject of giving, please speak into our lives, Lord. Bring us light and life by your word in the power of your spirit. For your glory and our good. Amen. So I want us to think about five principles or five things that make Christian giving Christian. Not all giving is Christian. What makes Christian giving Christian? And here is the first of them. The first thing is that Christian giving is grounded in God's gospel. Christian giving is grounded in God's gospel. And you see that in verses 14 through uh, 16, especially in verse 15. Paul writes, It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. What you see that comes up straight away when Paul thinks about giving and when Paul thinks about the gift that he's received from the Philippian church is this idea of partnership. Partnership. For Paul, their financial support is an expression of partnership, their partnership with him. What kind of partnership is he talking about, though? There are all sorts of partnerships, aren't there? What kind of partnership is he talking about? Well, we saw it at the very beginning of Philippians when he opened the letter with his thanksgiving to God for them. Have a, have a listen to these words. You may remember them. Paul writes, I thank my God 
in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's partnership in the gospel. It's grounded in the gospel, this giving and receiving that is happening between Paul and the Philippian church. You might remember the story in Acts chapter 18. Paul and Timothy bring the good news of Jesus to the city of Philippi for the first time. They go down to the river and they they find a a bunch of a group of ladies gathering there and they begin to tell them about Jesus. And we're told that God opens this lady Lydia's heart to hear the message about Jesus and she believes. A little later in that same chapter, uh, a Philippian jailer, when Paul and Timothy had been thrown into prison, repents and believes and becomes a Christian. And we're told that both these people, their whole households, believe. And in that day, that could be 20, 30, 40, 50 people in a household. And so suddenly you've got maybe you know, 60 to 80 people who, are, who have come to know Jesus, who have been saved, and now you've got a church that's been born through the power of the gospel. And in that, a partnership is formed. A partnership is formed. It's a partnership in the gospel personally because the good news of Jesus and through believing in that good news of Jesus, both Paul and Timothy and the Philippians have experienced God's awesome salvation. It's a partnership in the gospel personally, but it's also a partnership in the gospel collectively. That is to see the gospel spread, to see it advance so that Others might be saved as well. And this is what their giving is about. This is what their giving is about. It's about God's gospel. The good news of Jesus, his death and resurrection for the salvation of sinners, going to others, reaching others. I wonder, is that how we see what we're trying to do here at Gosnells, do we see this as a partnership in the gospel, both in terms of our personal experience of the good news of Jesus together, but also as our attempt and endeavour to advance and spread this good news of Jesus together? I wonder if that's how we see it. I wonder if that's how you see your involvement here at GBC, not just in terms of giving, but perhaps serving, showing up, encouraging people, uh, reaching out to people, whatever it might be. Is that how you see it? Partnership in the gospel. I hope so. I hope so. Because I want to suggest to you this morning that anything less is not what God would have for you personally. And it's not what God would have for us collectively, together. Our giving is to be grounded in God's gospel. Secondly, it's to be focused on God's kingdom. It's to be focused on God's kingdom. And you see that in verse 17. Paul makes this interesting 
um, kind of statement. Do you see it there? Not that I seek the gift, that is what they've brought to him, but I seek the fruit that increases to my account. No, that's not what he says, is it? I seek the fruit that increases to your account, the Philippians' account. What is he talking about? Why is he so thrilled about their giving? Not because of what it means so much for him, but what it says about them. What it says about them. You see, their giving says something about the fruit of the gospel in their lives. It says something about where they are at with King Jesus themselves, personally. It says something very clearly about their spiritual health as a group of believers. So when Paul received gift, as we saw last week, he rejoices in the Philippians greatly. No, he doesn't. He rejoices in the Lord greatly. Why? Because he sees it as evidence that King Jesus is at work in them. And this gift, it's the fruit of that work. Jesus is at work in his people. They're becoming all sorts of things that they would otherwise no way become. And one of them is generous. One of them is generous. Their giving makes two things clear for the Apostle Paul, I think. One, they are no longer focused on their own little temporary kingdoms here on earth. But rather, because of the gospel, their focus is now on God's eternal kingdom. And so for Paul, this is the fruit of the gospel in their lives. A clear focus on God's kingdom. And notice this is what Paul seeks for them and no doubt prays for them and longs for them. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your account. I seek that you as a church, Philippi, might be healthy, that there might be fruit in you. That's what I talk. That's what I plead with Jesus about. That's what I long to see. And when I see it, man, I rejoice in the Lord greatly when it's happening. So our giving is to be grounded in the gospel and focused on God's kingdom. It's not not just fruit in their own lives that I think Paul's talking about either. I think he's talking about the fruit of other people's lives. That is that through their giving and their support of the advance of the gospel, other people will hear about Jesus, respond to the message of Jesus and become followers of Jesus themselves. And then one day, on that final day, on the day that Philippians describes it as the day of Jesus Christ, when he returns, when every knee will bow, And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They too 
Those who have heard that message through the generosity of others, other believers supporting the proclamation of that message, getting further and further out, those who have heard that message and responded to that message will be there standing in the presence of Jesus too. That's another fruit that I think he's longing for and seeking in their lives. Their giving indicates spiritual fruit in their own lives through the power of the gospel and their giving will see spiritual fruit in the lives of others through the power of the gospel. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? That when the gospel grips us in such a way as we become generous and we support other ministries of the gospel, one day we will stand with people who we have never met but who came to know King Jesus through that gospel partnership in some way at some point in time. Our giving needs to be focused on God's kingdom, right? On God's kingdom. So let me ask you, how is your spiritual health? Is the fruit of the gospel evident in your life in this particular way? Is the gospel producing the fruit of generosity and giving in you? How's your spiritual health? Are you focused on your own temporary little kingdom here on earth? Devoting all your time, all your energy, all your resources to building that kingdom that will Vanish like that on the day of Jesus. What's that, only, what's that old saying? Many of you will know it. Only one life soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Our giving needs to be focused on the kingdom. See, Jesus' kingdom needs to so overshadow anything else this world can offer us that our focus will be on it and seeing it grow, seeing it come, as to use Jesus' words, on earth as it is in heaven. Is King Jesus the one who shapes what matters most to you? How can you know if he is? Well, there's probably lots of ways, but I think your giving will answer that question for you if he's shaping what matters most to you. Founded or grounded in the gospel, focused on God's kingdom. Thirdly, our giving needs to, needs to be done with a desire for God's pleasure. And again in verse 18, Paul makes an interesting statement. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having re- received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice how he describes them. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's an odd way to describe giving money to a bunch of Christians, isn't it? Don't you think? See, what's clear is Paul doesn't see it as a mere transaction of funds between two parties, does he? 
not just a horizontal reality, but something far greater than that, far richer than that, far more glorious than that. The language he uses is from the Old Testament temple where we get the idea of a sacrificial offering. And in that uh, event, incense was poured onto the sacrifice and, and it burnt up and this fragrant aroma would ascend from the place of sacrifice towards heaven, towards God. This sweet-smelling aroma which pictured pleasure being brought to God as the sacrifice was made. And so all this is clearly uh, kind of grounded in the, con- in, the, in the constraints or the area of worship, the worship of God. And for the Philippians and for us, the ultimate sacrifice has been made, right? Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been slain. He has made atonement for our sins. That's done and dusted. That's not what this is about. This is not about our sins being forgiven. That's done by Jesus and Jesus alone. What is it about, though? Well, it's about us responding to what he's done. In repentance and faith, turning from our idols and turning to Jesus and trusting in him and devoting our lives to him, which means all that we are and all that we have. Our lives are to be a fragrant offering to God in response to the sacrifice that's been made, pleasing to him through Jesus. That's a picture we've got here, and it's not an unusual picture. Romans 12 picks up this idea, maybe a familiar verse to many of you. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present, or some translations say, to offer your bodies. Is that just my body? Do I just... No, it's your whole person. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, or some translations say pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's this same idea that in response to the grace of God towards us in Jesus, we give ourselves to him fully. Now, we're never going to do that perfectly, but that's the call on our lives. For the Philippians, this has happened. For us, it's happened. So our giving is part of that, right? I, I figure that if I offer my whole self, then that probably includes my possessions. Probably includes all sorts of things. It includes my sexuality. It includes my priorities. It includes all that I am and all that I have. That's the call of responding to the gospel. Why? For the worship and pleasure of God. And the truth is this, and this isn't me quoting, and I'll show you where it comes from in a minute. You must give yourself first to Jesus before you will give much else. You must first give yourself to Jesus before you will ever give much else. And that comes straight from 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing about another church that was incredibly generous, although they didn't have much to give. 
And he says, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. No one constrained them or put pressure on them or promised them you know, a Ferrari if they gave or whatever. They gave of their own accord. <laughs> Verse 4, weird, right? Begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected and here it is see it there but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us what is clear is this Christian giving rightly understood is worship it's worship and again anything less than that is not what God desires for us. And even more so, it's not what God desires from us. How do you see your giving to the work of the gospel? Do you see it as a fragrant offering? Sacrifice in response to Jesus that's pleasing and acceptable to God? When you prepare your, perhaps your offering envelope that you're going to put in the box at the back at some point after church, when you make an EFT, an electronic funds transfer, or when you set up a regular payment, do you realise what you're doing at that moment if it's in response to Jesus' grace towards you? It's worship. It's worship. Maybe this helps us understand a little bit more what the Bible means when it says God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver, someone who's, who's, who's so grateful for the grace of God in Jesus that in response they gladly give so that others might be able to experience that same grace. God loves a cheerful giver. Is that how you give? Are you worshipping in this area of your life? You might think, oh, yeah, I'm worshipping in this area, in this area, in this area, Ah, but not the bank account. We'll just leave that over here. I'll keep an eye on that, thanks. Are you worshipping God in this area? And again, I don't know, we don't even think about this. Do you see the privilege you have of being able to worship God in this way? Or in any way for that matter? What does Romans 12, 1 say? I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. If it wasn't for the mercies of God in Jesus, none of us could have anything to do with God. None of us could ever draw near to God. We wouldn't be able to call him Father. We wouldn't be able to worship him and draw near to him and know his presence and his mercy and his kindness and his grace. We wouldn't be able to give, and even if we did, it would mean nothing. Sometimes we need to see the privilege of where we are with God. It's not just by the mercy of God we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him. It's because of it. So, grounded in, grounded in, um, in the gospel, focused on God's kingdom, desiring God's pleasure. Fourthly, confident in God's promises. Look at verse 18. Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory 
in Christ Jesus. Now, last week we had a verse that's been, been quoted out of context like you would not believe. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This week we've got another one, and here it is. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean lots of things that people have said it means. And realise, friends, when people make a verse say something it never was meant to say, they're putting words in God's mouth that he never said. That's like a bit scary, if you ask me. So what does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean that God will meet all your wants according to his riches in glory. It doesn't mean that if you just believe enough, hard enough, have enough faith, you can unleash God's unfathomable riches and pour them into your life. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that whatever you give to God, he will give you more. People say things like, you can't outgive God. And that's true. You can't. But just because you give doesn't mean God's going to give you more than you gave. He might pour back into your life in a way that you didn't expect. It's not a spreadsheet that you can go home and say, well, if I give uh, you know, this amount, then if I times that by 10, that's probably what God will give me back. So what's the sums? Okay, well, I'll plan my holiday on what comes back later. No, that's not what this means. What does it mean? Well, context is king. We have to grasp God's word in context, which is why people abuse this verse, because they take it out of context. It means this. As they, the Philippians, sacrificially give to God in advance, in order to advance the gospel, God will meet their needs in multiple ways, including their physical needs. Including their physical needs. And it is a promise. It is a promise to those who give generously and freely as followers of Jesus that God will not let you down, but rather he will sustain your very lives and in ways that you think need sustaining and interestingly enough, in ways you didn't even realise you needed sustaining. Notice what it says about our needs. They are far more than physical or material, right? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. What are the resources that God's going to pour into our lives as we give? Well, it's described as God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I wonder what that's like. How big is that? How multifaceted are God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus? I just went up to Chidlow again on um, Sunday and I passed by Mundaring Weir. That's a pretty big resource, right? When you have a look at it, and it's fairly full at the moment. I wonder if I could look on God's riches in glory in Christ what I would see. What does it include? What are we talking about here? 
in God's place of glory, his riches that are in Christ. And that's how we avail ourselves of them is through Jesus. Well, we're talking about lots of things and I don't we think we've got enough time to even maybe unpack what's included there. But here's just a few. It includes strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. It includes God sustaining you through trials, moment by moment, even second by second at times. And maybe like the Philippians, if you face persecution, God shepherding you in that. It includes God taking pleasure in working in your life to make you more like Jesus. It includes forgiveness of sins. And cleansing from unrighteousness and shame. Ah, it includes citizenship in heaven. It includes righteousness from God through faith in Jesus. A righteousness that I could never attain by myself. That I'm now clothed in by God's grace and therefore fully accepted by God. It includes peace with God and peace from God. It includes knowing that the God of peace is with you. And yes, it includes meeting your physical needs as well. And that's just a sample. Kind of plucked out of Philippians, really. A bit of an overview of Philippians. Of what God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus includes. Just a sample of what God promises to his children. I'll never forget reading the introduction to a little commentary by Warren Wearsbury on the book of Ephesians called Be Rich. And he talked about an old lady who lived in the streets of, on the streets of Chicago. All the locals knew her. Every day she pushed a trolley around collecting newspapers Second-hand newspapers. Everyone concluded that she was incredibly poor, that she had no resources to speak of at all. That was until she died. And those dealing with her affairs discovered that she had millions in the bank. She was actually incredibly wealthy. She had significant resources that were hers. Yet she never benefited from them. Her life was unchanged by them. I wonder if we're a little bit like her at times. We are rich beyond we can even get our head around in Jesus. But we don't realise it. And we go through our day sometimes as if we are completely impoverished. But we're rich. Do we know what we have in him? Do we know what? resources and what he will pour into our lives through Jesus. Because I want to suggest to you that it's only when we're confident in what God promises us in Jesus, it's only when we're deeply convinced of the riches we have in Jesus that we'll be able to give generously and consistently to advance the gospel. Because the issue is an issue of belief and unbelief, isn't it? If you give, you believe that God will take care of you then you'll be able to give. If you believe that God will be able to take care of you, then you'll be able to give. If you don't give, then you probably don't believe 
deep down in your core that God is able to take care of you. You have to do it. Yeah, he's pretty good for everything else, everything eternal, but I'll take care of the here and now. Only when we can say with confidence, our God will supply our every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We will be able to give. So fourthly, our giving is to be confident in God's promises. And lastly, and real briefly, although it's probably a summary of all of it, the goal of all our giving and serving is God's glory. Verse 20, Paul writes, To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know whether you know this about Paul, but he has this little problem every now and again where he kind of just erupts into a doxology, giving God glory. He's been thinking about lots of things and writing about lots of things, obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit of God as he's penning the Word of God, and then he just goes, Oh, now to God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. He just bursts out. It's one of the reasons why I love the song that we sing that has that line uh, in it that says, um, now what does it say? I don't want to get it wrong. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. I want to tell you that's biblical. <laughs> when the truth of some truth about Jesus lands for you, that's the right response to burst out with songs and praise. And that's what he's doing here. He bursts into a doxology, which is giving glory to God because of all that we find here. And this is where we are to land. Our giving is for God's glory, both now and forever. Our giving actually shows the worth of God to us in our lives. It shows to us and to others that his gospel, his kingdom, his pleasure, his promises are more valuable, more precious to us as his people than anything else. And so his worth is seen when we give. We bring him glory because we're saying, my God will take care of me. I trust him. I trust him. It doesn't, in some ways, it doesn't make sense for me to not put this in my barefoot investor third account over there. I'm going to give it here. His worth is seen when we give. Most importantly, actually, to us, not necessarily to anyone else. So, in conclusion, Let's get a little bit practical. How can you think? How can you think about, pray about, and reflect on your giving in light of what we've seen this morning? There are lots of ways, but I want to give you three ways you can do it, or three things to think about as we close. Firstly, I want to encourage you to be intentional about it and not accidental. If you think about every uh, occurrence of where Christians are giving in the Scriptures, in the New Testament in particular, it's clear that they thought about it, that they prayed about it, that they reflected on it, they decided before God and under God, and then they actually did it. It wasn't accidental. They didn't just go, oh, oh yeah, well, yeah, well, hey. They were prayerful. and th- Why? Because it was worship. So be intentional and not accidental. 
pray, think, budget, whatever, and decide. Secondly, use our vision to help you think about it. Our vision says we see people joyfully advancing the gospel, no matter the cost, for the salvation of others in our region and beyond, to the praise and the glory of God. So firstly, think about our region. Think about how you can support the work of the gospel in our region. And that's usually through your local church, whether that be this local church or another church that you're a part of. That's what we're seeking to do through youth group, through play group, through gatherings like this, encouraging each other as we go into our week, wherever God has placed us to be his person in that place. Support the work of the gospel in our region and then beyond. There might be uh, some, someone like Duncan or the Goods or others that God has laid on your heart that you want to partner with in the advance of the gospel. For your information, part of our overall budget here at church, everything that's given, 10% of that is set aside and given to mission. That's how we support Ben and Sam and Craig and Talitha and Grant Moore and others. So that's, that's, a, that's a way that we as a church are doing uh, beyond. But you might want to also do some in your thinking. Last question is probably an important question. Not one I can give you a specific answer on either. How much? Is it 10%? Is it more? Is it less? Now, some people say, well, it was 10% in the Old Testament, so it should be 10% in the New Testament. Actually, if you do a little bit of research in the Old Testament, you find that all their offerings together was a lot more than 10%. It was probably more about 28 or 30%. So I'm not sure. You know, if we're going to follow the Old Testament, well, let's not talk about 10. But I think something that's helpful to, to say, at least as you think about it, is 10% is probably a good starting point. It's probably a good place to think. Well, if, if, it was, if that was the, the one main offering they made in the Old Testament and we're on this side of the gospel and we're in a richer, more glorious, more, uh, more fulfilled place, then I'm sure it's probably not going to be less than that. If anything, it might be a bit more than that. But ultimately, the principles that we've looked at this morning are how you can decide how much. Grounded in the gospel, focused on God's kingdom, desiring to please God in response to his grace to you, confident in his promises and wanting to give him glory by the way you handle what he's given you. So hopefully that helps us to identify what is Christian giving? What isn't it? What's it look like? What does God have to say about it? Why don't we pray as we, uh, as we conclude this morning? Um, one of the things as we uh, close that I'll just mention is a bit over a month ago in May, it happens every year, our annual budget as a church was presented to the members, which they passed. And uh, there's some work that goes into that, obviously, in the lead up to that. What do we need? What are we trying to do? How are we trying to go forward? But how can we also be really good stewards of what God has given us and keep things as tight and as lean as possible? Um, so that budget's been in place since the 1st of July. We're a month into it and we're a little bit behind it. You didn't even know that it's changed. It's gone up slightly. We've done some things like um, put on our kids, uh, GBC Kids Worker, um, 
and, and some other things around that. So this week you'll get an email if you're part of our church and you get GBC News and so you'll get a, a bit of a, uh, an outline of what that budget is and where it goes and probably a summary of those five points for you to think about and pray about. And that's obviously between you and Jesus as to what you do in response to that, but just to help you with more information on that front. So why don't we pray? Let's come before Jesus. Father, we, um, yeah, we just want to pause, Lord, and we, we do uh, want to thank you so much that you are the God who is astonishingly generous. Lord, in creation, it wasn't stingy. All that you have made wasn't restrained. It was abundant. The seas teem with life and the stars are full. The skies are full of stars and galaxies and it all expresses and reveals what kind of God you are. And even more so in your salvation, you gave your only son to rescue rebels like us, to, to redeem us and renew us and change us and to make us like him. And we, we don't even begin to get a grasp really now of what you have in store for those who love you. Your word tells us that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and nor has it entered into the heart of any human what you have in store. The generosity that you're going to shower on your people on the day of Jesus. Father, help us to think well about this. Not to be constrained by any external pressure, but to be moved by your grace and by your spirit, by the truth of Jesus in the way we respond. That whatever we do might be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to you so that whatever we do with this part of our lives in worship of you may bring you glory. We ask all this that the gospel would be advanced, that people would be saved both in our region around us in this part of Perth and beyond in Tanzania and Mozambique and on university campuses and many other places besides. Father, lead us in this, we pray. Help us to be intentional, prayerful, thoughtful, deliberate. We ask all of this for your glory and for our good, that our hearts might not be entangled, but that might be free by your grace to be generous. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.